As Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan goes to jail, faces disqualification from the next elections, has the military establishment really tightened its grip on the nation's polity? Or are there more surprises in store for India's neighbour as it grapples with economic, political and security crises? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sahasini Heather. Now, ahead on the show, we'll hear from one of Pakistan's most famous commentators, Hussein Haqqani, former journalist, former minister, former ambassador to the US, an academic who is now in a sort of exile. We'll tell you more later on the show. But first, Pakistan, that seems to be in a state of permanent uncertainty, had yet another dramatic week in politics. To begin with, a court in Islamabad sentenced former Prime Minister Imran Khan to three years in jail uh, for what it called the misappropriation of official gifts that he, he took them and he resold some of them without declaring the proceeds. This was called the Toshakhana case. The three-year term he was handed also disqualifies him from standing for elections for the next five years. Jab Unlike three months ago, when he was last arrested for another corruption case that he was charged in, uh, however, this time we didn't see his party workers come out on the streets in those violent protests that we saw in May. And of course, at Worldview, we had told you about those. The arrest was significantly timed because of the second big development that it's time to head towards the next elections in Pakistan. Pakistan's Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif stood up for one last time this week for a farewell address to the Pakistani parliament, after which the president, Arif Alvi, dissolved the assembly. In his speech, Mr. Sharif said his government had in the last year that it has been in power, helped bring the country out of political turmoil, uh, helped with the devastating floods, and also stabilized Pakistan's debt crisis with the IMF. Another big moment this week, and this one was perhaps not expected, the publication of an article in the US website, The Intercept. It put out the text of a diplomatic telegram dated March 7, 2022, it said, was detailing just how a senior US department official, State Department official, the Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asia, Donald Liu, who also deals with India, had conveyed convey, uh, his concerns to Pakistan's ambassador about Imran Khan's ties with Russia at the time Imran Khan was the prime minister of Pakistan. He indicated that if Khan was actually voted in the confidence vote that occurred some weeks later, the US and Europe would actually be willing to forgive Pakistan for the visit to Moscow by Imran Khan right as the invasion of Ukraine was launched. When he was ousted, Imran Khan had alleged that it was the Pakistani military who had helped push him out, but it was at the U.S.'s behest. This is a charge the U.S. has denied, the military has de denied, and the Shabazz Sharif government that won the uh, next confidence vote has denied as well. Uh, but the allegations have remained. So these are three interconnected, equally important events in Pakistani politics in one week. So we're going to try and pull all the threads together and unpack it for you. The first big question, what's next for Imran Khan himself? One, now that he's been convicted, he has to prepare for a lengthy appeals process. This could take months, if not years, depending on the Pakistani courts. Second point is that the Tosha Khanna case is not alone. It is one amongst roughly a hundred cases filed against Khan after his ouster as PM by the new Shabazz Sharif government that followed him. 
Many of these are serious security cases. Remember, many of them include the violent protests that followed Imran Khan's last arrest in May 2023, when army cantonments were attacked, the Pakistani radio office was burnt down, many security installations came under uh, those protests from the people. Um, and so he is implicated in those cases as well. You know, it seems certainly unlikely that he will complete the appeals uh, or receive a stay prior to the elections. Now, those elections are due at the end of 2023, 2024. We'll tell you more about those. Um, but in that case, Imran Khan would not be allowed to contest. Meanwhile, Khan's party, the Pakistani Tariq Insaf, is being whittled down by the day. There are cases against the top PTI leaders. Many have announced their resignation from the party. Some, like former minister Shireen Mazari, even announced their resignation from politics earlier this year. This is, uh, this is seen as uh, a, a result of pressure being put on them. While Khan's popularity appears to be intact, there's no clear sign of what will follow if he is made to sit out the next election simply because there's no real clear path to his successor. The fact that Khan's political troubles rose as his rift with the military grew. First, it was with General uh, Asim, uh, Kamar Javed Bajwa, who went uh, who, over Afghanistan, over ties with India and many other issues. And then with the current General Asim Munir, who they have a history as well, uh, a pretty rough history. So it's no coincidence that um, Imran Khan's Troubles in politics are linked to his troubles with the military. Now, the question is, will the all-powerful Pakistani military allow him any quarter in the future of Pakistani politics? And whether he will, like many of his predecessors have, attempt to make peace with them. Second big question, what's next in Pakistan's election process? While Pakistan has a parliamentary system like India, uh, its processes for the electoral transition are just much more complex for us to understand. First, with the parliament now dissolved, a caretaker government made up of a non-political or apolitical prime minister has to be appointed. That's the first step. Uh, they're appointed after a meeting between the prime minister and the leader of the opposition, or if they fail to come to a consensus, uh, a committee, and then if that doesn't work, then the election commission uh, takes over the decision. The caretaker government itself and the prime minister is expected to be neutral. Uh, it's normally an economist or a jurist or a journalist. While the election commission then begins preparations for elections due to take place within 90 days, three months, or if they start right now, would be by November this year. But then there's a problem. In June this year, Pakistan completed a new census that increased its population figures to nearly 250 million. Elections, therefore, will require new delimitations for electoral constituencies, the boundaries of them based on the new census figures. That will take at least 120 days, so till December, after which the election process will begin. So it could be as much as four months for the delimitation, followed by as much as three months for the next election, and then who knows. This means a caretaker government and the military that's taking a more and more prominent role in politics will actually form a sort of hybrid model of governance for Pakistan for at least the rest of this year, if not more. To, to see just how uncertain really all of this is, uh, this week the interior minister of Pakistan was asked, will elections take place in 2023? Is 2023 an election year? And the interior minister, Rana Sanaullah, said, no. Listen in. And the third big question coming out of this, 
what do the cipher details mean for Pakistan's geopolitics and in particular Pakistan's relations to the United States. Remember at one point people have always said that it is Allah, Army and America that decides Pakistan's future. It certainly seems as if they're getting uh, coming back to that kind of scenario. To begin with, if proven true, the cipher in the intercept story indicates that the US certainly supported the ouster of Imran Khan, if not actively pushing for it. Second, it is significant that while the Biden administration had no truck with the Khan government, it engaged the Sharif government right from the start. Uh, Foreign Minister Bilawal Bhutto visited Washington a number of times. Prime Minister Sharif has met with President Biden uh, on the sidelines of a UN event. And remember, President Biden didn't once speak to Imran Khan even over the telephone after he came to power in Washington in 2020. Now, the really interesting thing is how Pakistan's policies have changed perhaps towards uh, the war in Ukraine. Imran Khan had actually visited Moscow right on February 24th, 2022. Uh, when the Ukraine invasion began, Imran Khan, albeit unknowingly, happened to be in Moscow. In comparison to that, the Sharif government has actually strengthened ties with Ukraine. Last month, Ukraine Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba actually visited Islamabad, held talks with Mr. Bhutto over Pakistan's supplies to Ukraine during the war and other means of cooperation. Um, so has Pakistan changed its position? In its defense, the Sharif government says, yes, it, it is neutral, that it has kept up its ties uh, with uh, Ukraine as well as with Russia and has even, like India, bought uh, uh, imported cheap Russian oil. Significantly, when asked, uh, the State Department said this about the cipher. If you listen in, it's not exactly denying its veracity, simply saying that that was not what the U.S. was trying to do to try and change governments. A few things. One, um, yes, it's a, it's a report reported to be a Pakistani document. I can't speak to whether it is an actual Pakistani document or not. I just simply don't know. Um, with respect to um, uh, the comments that were reported, I'm not going to speak to private diplomatic exchanges other than to say that even if those comments were accurate as reported, um, they in no way show the United States taking a position on who the leader of Pakistan ought to be. We expressed concern uh, privately to the government of Pakistan as we expressed concern publicly about the visit of then Prime Minister Khan to Moscow on the very day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, uh, we made um, uh, that concern quite clear, but as the former Pakistani ambassador to the United States himself has stated, the allegations that the United States has interfered in internal decisions about the leadership of Pakistan are false. As we've stated, they're false. They've always been false and they remain false. What then can we make of all this? Um, joining me now is Hussein Haqqani, Director South and Central Asia at the Washington-based Hudson Institute. He's currently teaching at the Anwar Gargash Academy in Abu Dhabi. He's the author of several books, including Pakistan Between the Mosque and Military, as well as Magnificent Delusions. I should add that he has been Pakistan's ambassador to the US. He also faced a number of charges in Pakistan, several controversies about him, and you can read about those online. Um, and he is in a sort of self-imposed exile abroad. More recently, in fact, just a few months ago, uh, Mr. Haqqani sued Imran Khan for claiming he lobbied for the Pakistani military with the Biden administration. So in the thick of things, if, if you like. Uh, and he's recently authored an article in foreignpolicy.com entitled, Pakistan's military won't loosen its grip, an article I urge you to read. But first, 
Hussein, thanks so much for joining us. The question really, has the establishment effectively ended Imran Khan's career or should we never say never in Pakistani politics? But Pakistan's politics is like a nine-round boxing match. And so unless somebody has been uh, completely knocked out or uh, has lost all nine rounds, uh, the game is not over. Uh, that said, I think Imran Khan is out for the moment. Uh, he made a classic blunder of taking on the military but going violent. Now, we must understand one thing about violence. Whenever there is violence, then whoever has the preponderance of ability to be violent always prevails. If Imran Khan had done what other politicians had done, gone to prison, kept protesting, kept his support base intact, and waited for elections, he would have had a better outcome. He's already 70 years old. Um, he will miss the coming election, which means he will be out for a few years. And then by the time there's another round of elections, he will be in his uh, sort of mid-70s. Uh, will he be able to sustain his support all this time? Uh, one can't be sure. And it is unlikely that he will have the kind of uh, return that Nawaz Sharif and Benazir put to head by virtue of their ability to compromise. He has proved one thing, that he does not compromise. But not only that, he his followers, uh, most of his hardline followers, dislike the word compromise. So it's complicated. Uh, he could come back at some point later, but right now he's definitely out question really and of course there is all this uncertainty on when elections will be held they could be in three months could be in seven months there's a delimitation process as well but when they are held without the principal opposition party the party that came to power in the last elections the pti does this really mean like there's a, going to be a, a clean sweep for the ruling coalition with the shabazz sharif government uh what are we what are we really seeing especially in terms of the role of the military here so, Hasni, we must understand that in politics, there can never be a situation in which there is only a ruling party and no opposition, unless, of course, that is by design and uh, uh, it's a one-party state. Uh, so, what is more likely to happen is that the existing political parties will reconfigure. Imran Khan's party is also reconfiguring. Many people have left the party, created new offshoots. The main party will also have, the rump party will also have some uh, new leaders, uh, they will be competitive in certain areas. They will not be competitive in others. Uh, a new uh, grouping of politics, uh, politicians and politics will emerge uh, and the establishment will have an opportunity to build new coalitions. We must remember that coalitions are the establishment's biggest advantage. Uh, they are able to use one group against another they are able to uh, take advantage of differences among them. Uh, Imran Khan's failure was that he thought that he had won the election outright, that it was all about Imran Khan. He never cut his coalition partners happy, happy enough to actually say at the last minute, no, 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 we are not deserting our uh, uh, coalition head and we are going to stay there. Shabazz Sharif, on the other hand, and for that matter, Asif Zardari, have proven to be much better coalition builders. But there is a yearning for change among Pakistan's young people. Pakistan has a very young population. How will that play out remains to be seen. Could it also result in a total disenchantment with the political process, people reaching the conclusion it doesn't make a difference, having a low turnout election? That is possible as well. Pakistan had very low turnout elections in 1985, for example, and again in 1993. So we can have these, uh, sorry, 1997. So we can have those outcomes as well. 
the question, many trace the, uh, the downfall of Imran Khan or his ouster from the prime minister's position to his fallout with the military, with the two generals, one after the other, uh, with the new ciphers that have come out. Is there more to the United States' role in uh, his ouster as well as the PTI has been alleging? Look, many people in Pakistan wish that the United States would keep the level of interest in Pakistan that is required to be able to conspire to change its government. The U.S. has lost interest in Pakistan uh, at the moment, and Imran Khan's shenanigans have resulted in even the Assistant Secretary of State not paying any attention to Pakistan. So Pakistan has not had a high-level visit from anybody from the United States uh, uh, in a long time. Moreover, if you look at this cipher, very closely, what is it? It is a communication from the Pakistani ambassador to the Pakistan government about a conversation between him and a senior American official. And the senior American uh, official is saying, we don't like your prime minister. We think he's responsible for certain decisions that we dislike. Uh, there's a vote of no confidence coming. If after the vote of no confidence, a new government is formed, maybe we will re-engage and things will be better. How does that prove anything other than the fact that they were unhappy with Imran Khan, which was a well-known fact? Uh, there is no conspiracy there. There is no threat there. Moreover, 174 members of Pakistan's National Assembly voted against Imran Khan. Are we to assume that by just talking to the Pakistani ambassador in Washington, uh, the Americans were able to convince 174 members of parliament to change their opinion uh, on politics? I think that is just a conspiracy theory. Imran Khan is the master of conspiracy theories. He builds a master narrative through conspiracy theories. First, there was the conspiracy theory that all politicians in Pakistan are crooks. They have billions of dollars in foreign accounts. I will, I'm the honest guy. I will come into power. I'll bring that billions back to the country and everybody will be prosperous. People bought into it. People like to hear a good story. But the truth is, it is just a story. Um, conspiracy theory in a country that really does live in its polity on many of those theories. Um, so the broader picture, really, uh, India has elections next year. Bangladesh has elections at the turn of the year. Pakistan now seems to be having elections around the same time. What really should we be looking at here in India uh, when it comes to Pakistan's uh, next few months? Look, one of the reasons why Imran Khan and the military fell out was because the military realized certain things. The military and Imran Khan uh, were on the same page not long ago. What was that page? That page was this notion that somehow the economy can be stabilized by bringing money that Pakistanis have parked in foreign banks. That didn't turn out to be true. Uh, the thought that a new, uh, inexperienced celebrity can actually prove to be a better leader than experienced corrupt politicians, that didn't turn out to be true. Administration was really poor. Imran Khan changed officials many times. We had four finance ministers in three years, things like that. So as a result, the military was disappointed. But the biggest disappointment was when the military realized that maybe trade with India is a good idea. And Imran Khan stuck to the old views when the military realized that the United States is Pakistan's biggest export market and Pakistan needs better relations with them. And Imran Khan stuck to his old rhetoric of we are not going to listen to the Americans. And when the military realized that it needs to have a slightly more uh, flexible approach to the Taliban and Imran Khan said the Taliban are breaking the chains of slavery. The inflexibility of Imran Khan was the issue. So. The military, as long as it is the major uh, force in Pakistan, does provide some element of predictability. The question is, is the change of the military's worldview 
deep enough to actually manifest in policy? Or will the internal struggles of Pakistan keep Pakistan stable? If I were an Indian, I would worry about that because no country likes having a neighbor that is in a state of permanent instability. Hussain Haqqani there. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about his books in just a bit, but here's Worldview's take. Pakistan's polity lives with one basic contradiction. While politicians fight the elections, no government actually rules without the military's backing. This is the single reason that no Pakistani prime minister has actually completed a full five-year term since the creation of Pakistan in 1947. What the Sharif government has done to Imran Khan and his party in terms of the cases, shutting down their media coverage, arresting all of them, is something every government seems to do to its predecessor. Mr. Khan was no exception, forgetting that the real threat to the democratic process and to their power comes not from political rivalries, but from a force outside the polity. New Delhi, of course, in its own election year, cannot afford to take its eye off developments next door. So time for those reading recommendations. And the first, of course, are those books by Hossein Akani. I talked about Pakistan between mosque and military. There's also a book called Reimagining Pakistan, Transforming a Dysfunctional Nuclear State. Uh, the second book just out, and if you haven't read it already, please do, called Pakistan Origins, Identity and Future by Parvez Hoodboy, of course, a famous columnist, also a famous physicist. Uh, the Struggle for Pakistan, a Muslim homeland and global politics. This is by Aisha Jalal. Uh, there's a new book out by Christine Fair, a uh, U.S. academic called Fighting to the End, the Pakistan Army's Way of War, a very, very critical book on Pakistan. Uh, and then one called The Battle for Pakistan, The Bitter U.S. Friendship and a Tough Neighborhood. This is by former uh, uh, General Shuja Nawaz, a book by an Indian diplomat posted in Pakistan called Pakistan Courting the Abyss by Tilak Devashar as well as this book, which I found very interesting on the origins of the ISI called Faith, Unity and Discipline, uh, the ISI of Pakistan by Hein Kiesling. There's a real look at the creation of that uh, uh, body. Pakistan Adrift, Navigating Troubled Waters. This is by General Asad Durrani, very worth a read. Also Military Inc. Inside Pakistan's Military by Aisha Siddiqar, really updating her previous book. Uh, and then finally, by, uh, and then by Zahid Hussain, there's no win war, the paradox of U.S.-Pakistan relations in Afghanistan's shadow. He also, remember, in 2010, wrote The Scorpion's Tale, the relentless rise of Islamic militants in Pakistan and how it threatens the world. A very bold, very independent and honest writer. Uh, and finally, there's Pakistan's drift into extremism, Allah, the army, and America's war on terror by Hassan Abbas. All of them very well worth reading and we do hope you enjoy them. We do hope you like and subscribe to the Hindus channel here on YouTube as well as at our website www.thehindu.com. From the team at Worldview, thanks for watching.